Welcome to the Mercy Hill Church Podcast. This podcast is a collection of sermons and conversations intended to stir up your affections for Jesus. We hope this content helps you know and tell the story of Jesus better. We're just going to jump in today. Uh, We don't have a lot of time, so you got a Bible, Mark chapter 14. We're going to actually pick up in verse 26. So we're backing up a little bit from last week. We need to get the context of the story together. And, uh, and so we're going to pick up Mark chapter 14, verse 26. <clears throat> and when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So this is immediately following the Last Supper. Jesus and his disciples leave from that dinner scene, and they are going to the Mount of Olives, which is just a place where they grow olives. All right. And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And Peter, verse 29, pipes up. Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly I tell you this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he, this is Peter, said emphatically, If I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. So after the Last Supper, they've already heard, remember, about this one who's going to betray Jesus. And so as they are gathering right before they're about to start this prayer service where really just ends up being Jesus praying by himself, we talked about that last week. Jesus looks at his disciples and says, all of you guys are going to fall away. In fact, Zechariah talked about you guys in Zechariah chapter 13, verse 7, and he said, when the the shepherd will be struck and all the sheep will scatter. And that's about you, and you're all going to leave me. And I love Peter, right? I mean, directly in line with what we've learned about his character. He's like, not me. Maybe some of these other losers. You know what I mean? Like, These jokers, they're not like me. I'm different. I'm special. I'm better than them. I will never, never desert you. And Jesus is like, actually, uh, that's not true. Uh, You're going to deny even knowing me three times before this night is over. And Peter, of course, doubles down. It's as if he hasn't been involved in this story all the way through the book of Mark whatsoever. Right? Like what Jesus says we've seen happens. And Peter's like, no, I'm going to die before I do that. I'm going to die. And don't miss this, because I think sometimes when we look at this passage, Peter gets a bad rap, but so does everyone else, right? So Judas is not in the scene right now. He's off plotting to betray Jesus, but these other 11 disciples are like, not us. We're with Peter. We will die before we deny you. So then uh, Judas shows up with a crowd who have swords and clubs. This is the picture I have in my brain. I'm sure it's not right, but I just watched too many Westerns growing up as a kid. It's like, let's form a posse. You know what I mean? Like, that's kind of the picture I have. So the chief priests and the scribes and the elders, the religious leaders, have gotten some men together with Judas. They come with weapons, and they're coming to arrest Jesus. Judas gives them a sign. He's going to kiss Jesus on the cheek so that they know, hey, this is the guy. Arrest him. Judas kisses him. They arrest Jesus. Mayhem breaks out. We think it's Peter. He's like swinging with a sword, cuts off somebody's ear. Like the the situation is completely chaotic. And then check this out. Verse 50. And they all left him and fled. Right? What Jesus said came true. So after his arrests... Well, he's being, being carted off for a trial. 
everybody just takes off. And so this posse, this group of men take Jesus to the high priest and they have a middle of the night trial with Jesus as the defendant. Uh, usually if you're having a trial in the middle of the night, that means something is wrong. While other, all the other dis- disciples have scattered, what we do know is that Peter follows at a, a distance to see where they're taking Jesus. And we know from John's gospel, we think it's John is also there uh, with uh, Peter. And John actually goes into uh, the proceedings while Peter stays outside in the courtyard. And inside, of course, the religious leaders are trying to convict Jesus of a crime, and they've queued up these false testimonies about Jesus in the trial. And the problem is, none of the testimonies agree with each other. And so everybody's like, he did this, he did that. And everybody's like, what, what is going on? Now, this seems to me to be a major oversight. Now, remember, all the way through the book of Mark, these religious leaders have been plotting to arrest Jesus and put him on trial. We've seen it over and over and over again. They finally pull it off and they're not prepared for the actual trial? It seems strange. None of the testimonies match up and so finally, let's pick up in verse 61. It says this, again the high priest asked him, are you the Christ, that's the Messiah, the son of the blessed, verse 62, and Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, what further witnesses do we need? You've heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And check this out, verse 64. And they all condemned him as deserving death. Now, why does that happen? There's a whole crowd condemned Jesus at this point. Well, the high priest asked him if he's the Christ or the Messiah. We've talked about that through the book of Mark, the one that God has promised who will deliver his people. And Jesus responds and says, I am the Messiah. Even more than that, I'm the son of man. Remember, Jesus has used this title, the son of man. This comes from Daniel chapter seven. We talked about it several times. But the son of man is this picture of this, or this person who is a heavenly person who descends to earth and then back up to heaven after defeating sin and death in Daniel chapter seven. And Jesus says, in fact, I'm that guy, the son of man that Daniel talked about, and I'm going to be at the right hand of power, capital P, that's God. And when you see me again, he says, I'm coming with the clouds of heaven. Now, uh, he's not talking about like a precious moments scene, like a figurine, right? He's not talking about what you've seen on television When Jesus says he's coming with the clouds, what he means is Exodus-style clouds. You remember what happens in the book of Exodus? What is the cloud that leads the people of God? It's God's very presence. That's why everybody freaks out. Because Jesus said, I'm the deliverer. I'm also this person who's coming from heaven to rescue and judge all people. I am the one who sits at the right hand of God, and when I come, God's presence comes with me, and they all freak and say, we don't need to hear any more testimonies. We thought we needed to set up all of these fake testimonies. We didn't. We just needed Jesus to talk. And so they condemn him to death. Now, while Jesus is on trial inside, remember, Peter is still in the courtyard outside. Verse 66, and as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came, and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, 
you also were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know or understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. Verse 69. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, this man is one of them. But again, he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders said again to Peter, certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to evoke, invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I don't know this man whom you speak of. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. So while Jesus is confessing his own identity as the Messiah, the Son of Man, God's presence in person, Peter is denying Jesus outside in the courtyard. While Jesus is being condemned to die because of who he is, Peter is outside capitulating. I don't even know the guy. While Jesus is declaring that he is the, the Messiah, while he is being condemned, Peter's being questioned by a servant girl and some bystanders, and he even gets to the point where he cusses about himself. I don't, I don't know who the guy is. Peter's willingness to die for Jesus had quickly evaporated. He did exactly what he told Jesus he wouldn't do, what Jesus had foretold. But what's interesting is we know from church history that Peter did eventually die for Jesus. That he was martyred, killed precisely because of his faith in Christ. So here's the question I have about Peter in this text. What's the difference between the two events? Why is it at one point he denies Jesus just because people are questioning him? Surely you are one of his disciples. And yet later in life, he willingly, sacrificially lies, lays down his life for Jesus. Why is it that he's willing at one point in his life to be a martyr, but here in this text, he won't even admit that he knows who Jesus is? He's playing dumb. He's like, I don't even know what you're talking about. There's a trial going on right now? There's somebody in there? Right? I love this is what David Garland says. He says this. He, this is Peter, he thought he would die for Jesus, but he needed Jesus to die for him. That's the difference. That's the difference. Peter has the order wrong. You see, Jesus didn't need Peter to die for him. Jesus didn't need that sort of sacrifice from, from Peter. Peter's accepted by God not because of his own sacrifice or his own willingness to die. He's accepted by God because of Jesus' willingness to die. This whole event isn't to prove Peter's worthiness. This whole thing is going down to prove who Jesus is. And what Peter needed most was not in this moment to courageously sacrifice himself for Jesus. What Peter needed most was Jesus to die for him in his place. See, this is the reversal of the gospel, and you and I get this backwards all the time. Most world religions... What is it? God requires sacrifice from you. And if you want to be on good terms with God, he's going to require a sacrifice from you. But in Christianity, 
in the way of Jesus. The beautiful good news of the gospel is that God makes the sacrifice for us. That Jesus came in order to lay down his life for us in our place. And in this moment, Peter doesn't see it. But what he needs most is not to triumphantly sacrifice himself for Jesus' sake, but for Jesus to sacrificially lay down his life for Peter's sake. If I could just bring this home maybe for us in our lives. Believing our willingness to die for Jesus comes before Jesus' death for us is foolishness and not faithfulness. The order is important. The reason Peter lays down his life later is because he knows precisely what Jesus has done for him in his place. It is the gospel that makes the difference in his life between these two scenes. Before he knows Jesus' death and resurrection for him, he melts. But after He boldly stands for Christ. This reminds me of what John, one of Jesus' disciples, wrote, 1 John 4, 10. He says, and this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the substitutionary atonement for our sins. See, that's the good news of the gospel. And I think that's why the story is here. Because do you remember Mark's gospel is whose eyewitness testimony? Peter. Peter's telling this story on himself because he wants people to know the most important thing about him is not that he died for Jesus. The most important thing about him is not that he stood up for Jesus. The most important thing about him was that Jesus died for him, that Jesus stood for him in his place. This is love, John says. Not that we mustered up enough love for God to come to him, but that God loved us and came for us. Now, the good news is a couple chapters later. We're going to skip ahead. All right? I'm trying not to give away the whole story because we've got two more weeks left, but we're going to skip ahead. Good news is that God is a God of second chances. So after Jesus' death and resurrection, some women see him resurrected, And he says, go and tell the disciples and Peter. Isn't that interesting? He doesn't say just go tell all those guys. Peter would be included in that. But the way Peter remembers and records the story, the way Mark records the story, is that Jesus asks for him by name. That Peter's denial of Jesus had not disqualified him from being loved and cherished by Jesus. That when all of the disciples fled the scene, they all were still invited back into a relationship with Jesus. And here is Jesus. He doesn't gather with his disciples and start screaming at them, right? Can you imagine? I told you. You sorry jokers. I told you every single one of you guys was going to abandon me. And you know what you did? You did it anyway. What is your problem? Do better. Try harder. We don't hear Jesus getting his disciples together. He's not calling for Peter and going, you know what, man, you don't deserve me after all. Three years? 
And you still deny me to a servant girl? No, you don't deserve me. We don't see Jesus saying, you left me once. Now you're out. Oh, you've seen the resurrection, so now you want to come back? We don't see that, do we? Instead, Jesus says, man, go tell the disciples, and you make sure you tell Peter, because we're going to meet together. Um, church planning is weird. Uh, if you've never done it, I don't recommend it. Uh, but sometimes in church planning, uh, there's a lot of transition people come and go, especially in the early years. Uh, and that has a way of kind of making a church planner or even people on that church planning team a little jaded. Uh, so one of the people that helped us start the church was a dear friend who was from my student ministry who I had personally discipled. And when we moved here, he came and jumped on full board, and I love him dearly, and he did a lot for us. He's incredible. Uh, he had some relational conflict with the church, uh, got married in that time, and they ended up leaving the church. And, uh, and then later they came back. Uh, and then they came over to my house and um, said, hey, we're, we're going to try to find another church again. And so in my lack of Christ-likeness, my response was, well, don't come back a third time. We've already done this. If we're not the church for you now, we're probably not going to be the church for you in six months. The truth is, I was just brokenhearted. And I was angry. And I felt a little betrayed. And I lacked grace immensely. I wasn't anything like Jesus. <laughs> Now listen, don't get me wrong. I think church consumerism needs to be corrected. In fact, I think one of the reasons you guys, some of you here can't figure out church is because you treat it like a product or a good to be consumed. And it breaks my heart because I think it's wrecking your life. Slowly, a little bit at a time, and so you don't notice it. And I think there are moments to speak out against it, I think even, and I have even, personally with people, pointed out that maybe consumerism is a mark of our culture, but shouldn't be a mark of Jesus followers, especially when it comes to the family of God. And that doesn't make necessarily what my friend and his wife did right. Denying Jesus wasn't right. But I promise my response was wrong, without a doubt. Because what do we see in the book of Mark? Now go tell the disciples and Peter, grace upon grace from Jesus. What I did is what many of us are guilty of. I switch which sacrifice comes first. And so that couple became not people whom Jesus cherished and loved and died for. But in my brain, I thought, man, I gave up mornings with you for years. 
getting breakfast, opening the scripture together. Man, I invited you into my home. We, we, we let you live here for six months. And the list of things that I had sacrificed for these people was all that was on my brain. How could you do this to me? But you know what? The order is wrong, right? It's not my sacrifice that comes first. It's Jesus' sacrifice. In this way, I think what we see in the text is a gift to us. I think this whole experience was a gift to Peter. And I think when we get to heaven and we get a little time with Peter, he's probably going to explain it this way. Here's what I mean. Seeing our own weakness is a gift, right? You remember Peter, beginning of the story? I will never. Those other guys are losers. They might, not me. I got this, Jesus. Whatever's ahead for you is what's ahead for me. I can do it. Overly confident in his own ability. He overestimates his own strength and does so by comparing himself to the other disciples. I'm not weak like them. I'm not cowards like them. My church attendance is better than them. I know the Bible better than them. I treat my wife better than them. Right? But what he finds out in this moment is that he is just as weak and just as powerless. And what he needs is not to muster up more of his own strength, but what he needs is Jesus' strength. And that's a gift. A gift for us to know, every single one of us, we're no different from anybody else. We need Jesus to die for us in our place too. We need Jesus' resurrection just as much as anyone else. It's a gift to know that we are weak, but Jesus is strong. So there's good news today. Jesus died for you in your place. Do you notice this in the text? This is one of the things I, I think is so striking about this text. They all said they would not desert him. They all did desert him. In the courtyard, they, or at the trial, they all condemned him to death. Why do you think Mark repeats that? Because he wants you and I to see ourselves in this story and know we are no different. If we'd have been there that night, we all would have participated in some way. Some of us would have been terrified disciples who scattered and fled. Some of us would have been overzealous in our own strength only to let Jesus down later. Some of us would have been one of the religious leaders condemning Jesus. Some of us would have had the courage to follow like Peter but then melt in the moment. Mark wants us to see as we are getting right up to the cross that we are all complicit that if you're reading his gospel, Jesus' death is your fault too. I love the way John Stott says it. He says, before we can begin to see the cross as something done for us, leading us to faith and worship, we have to see it as something done by us, leading us to repentance. That all of us participate. But the good news of the gospel 
is that Jesus willingly laid down his life for you and me. That even when we are complicit in his death, he is gracious and he's using that death in order to save and rescue us. And so while it's bad news, none of us would have responded differently from anybody else in that story. It's good news. We can respond differently now. We can come to faith in Christ now. We can trust Jesus now. We can know that Jesus' death was for us in our place, that his resurrection brings us life. We can respond in faith now. The second thing I think that's important for us to realize from this text, especially when it comes to our community, is that comparison is a killer. It will destroy your spiritual life. If you sit in the seat of Peter, constantly looking around and going, nope, doesn't have it, I got it. Not smart enough, not cool enough, doesn't show up enough, doesn't serve enough, doesn't have good enough language. Man, that guy's language is terrible. I don't ever use profanity. Doesn't treat his wife good enough, doesn't treat her husband good enough. That sort of comparison will choke the life out of you. But the good news of this text is that no matter how much we think we're better than someone else, we all equally needed Jesus' death and resurrection for us. Our need is no different. And so we see each other. We go, man, I, I needed Jesus just as much as you needed Jesus. We're into some different things. We got some different hangups and some different sins and some different problems. But our need is exactly the same. And then lastly, church, what a message to proclaim. Good gracious. But it doesn't matter what you did. I mean, can you imagine somebody saying, oh, I, I don't know about this Jesus thing. I, I'm just maybe not a good enough person for the whole church scene. Be like, hold, hold up, slow down. Do you know Jesus' best friends left him alone? Do you know the guy that thought he was the ringleader and the closest to Jesus denied even knowing him? And Jesus still died for those guys. He still extended a second chance to them. Some friend. You don't, you don't think he's going to extend another chance to you? You don't think he's going to invite you in? That's powerful, right? Unbelievably powerful. So listen today. Uh, don't get the deaths out of order. We sacrifice in response to how Jesus laid down his life for us. Not to earn God's favor. Let's don't let comparison kill us, alienate us. And let's walk with confidence. I mean, this is an unbelievable message. His grace is powerful. Let me pray. Thanks for listening to the Mercy Hill Church podcast. To keep up with the life of Mercy Hill Church, follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We believe the Christian life is best experienced in community. If you're in our area, we'd love for you to join us. If not, we'd love to help you get plugged into a local church near you. Have a great week.